0: This is essential. 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 This is essential audio.
1: Welcome to the Money Pot. I am Rachel Morrissey, and according to a survey of 1,000 people done by the customer service platform Tidio, 77% of people believe that the metaverse can cause serious harm to modern society citing addiction to simulated reality, privacy issues, and mental health issues. But the term Web3 gets 195,000 searches per month, which shows that while interest in Web3 is high, there can be a real hesitancy from the general public around the associated risks. So in this episode, we wanted to discuss the gap between interest in Web3 and the fear of the potential damaging side effects. And joining me to discuss this is my colleague and friend, Sanjeev Khalida. Hey, Sanj. Hey,
0: Rachel. Always happy to talk Web3 with you.
1: Great. Uh, Well, in this episode, we wanted to speak to someone who had a much more rosy view of the possibilities of Web3 and discuss what we need to do now to get to that place. So earlier, I caught up with Megan Nielsen, who is possibly better known as
2: CryptoMegan. My name is Megan Nilsson. I go by Crypto Megan on social media and as a consulting agency. And I am a high end crypto and NFT portfolio consultant for large companies, investors, and celebrities, and also an educator and a professional speaker in Web3.
1: So, Megan is an obvious Web3 enthusiast. She truly believes in the revolutionary nature of Web3 and the possibilities that it could give us to a much more utopian society. She has a real sense of uh, just the, the possibilities for community and engagement in this society, and she thinks that it can be a great equalizer. And as we were talking about that, we were trying to decipher what needs to happen to make it so that Web3 can be this utopian center that she sees so much promise in, and one of the first things that we identified was ideas around data management and data ownership. So we're going to talk about that, um, we spoke about that with Megan, uh, and data management was pretty fundamental to building the Web3 experience that we all want.
2: In my travels around the world and and seeing the new companies on the ground and what they're working on, they are working on ways to connect companies with your data through your consent and only if you want to opt in and by monetizing. So if you say, okay, I want to be in touch with these companies, I know one company is doing it, they're actually setting a price where, okay, I'll allow these companies to get in touch with me for X amount of money per interaction decentralization in general is putting the power back in the people's hands so they are in control of their time their art it's about freedom also for example i'm a big fan of the theta blockchain not many people talk about it and and, uh, i've been following it for years and i think it's incredible and they have a theta drop platform and they have chosen to focus on company interaction so there's been two large companies that have done some nft drops on their platforms samsung and sony so far and they are allowed to now interact with potential customers through drops that they have pre-access to special benefits uh, such as their private nft Um, i think it's all about the community building from the floor up and the brand is literally structuring It's agenda based on how the community is interacting, which is really cool because now the community has a really much bigger say in the journey that the brand has because they're listening more, they're interacting more. It's much more interactive.
1: Sanj, one of the reasons I wanted you on this is particularly because this is your expertise. So I would love to get your perspective on what we can do to create a data management and data ownership that really allows for us to build in this space in a much uh, better way than what we have.
0: Well, first of all, let me just like start off with uh, sort of the one of the initial points you talked about the worry about Web3 and people getting addicted to it. And like what I'll say to that is like, you just think back to like, TV, you think back to internet, you think back to even radio, like new technologies always bring up worries of, oh, we're going to be addicted to downloading horrible stuff on the internet. We're going to be addicted to, we're going to become boob tube watchers and just like become couch potatoes, which I think we have. It's but, true.
1: And I, I was going to say that, that all happened.
0: <laughs> yes. And and, 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 and and so I, I think the, the, the worries are legitimate, definitely not uh, downplaying that. Um but like let, let, let's look at uh like even TV for example you know there there's so many channels it, it's overwhelming and think about the TV guide Uh, and, and, and like how that helps you manage what you want to watch, how you want to watch it when you want to watch it. So, um, even from a TV data perspective, we have these tools that help us manage this potentially overwhelming amount of data. So I think for web three and thinking of our own personal data, I think that takes it to a whole new level. Like what are our our personal TV guides or data recorders that we being the ownership web three economy that we will need to program.
1: Yeah, I had not even thought about it in the sense of a TV guide. Uh, but that's such a brilliant way to think about it. A very old school analogy. I'm starting to wonder how many of our audience have even uh, seen a TV guide for me. <laughs> but I, I, uh, with, with streaming and everything it is. But it, it, it's also like if you look at the platforms of, of Netflix or, or HBO, the, the way those platforms set up, also those algorithms feed to you what they think you're going to want based on what you have wanted in the past, right? You you create patterns for them. And I wonder about, um, you know, TV Guide used to be kind of... Uh, it, it, it wasn't algorithmic. You know, they they didn't send a TV guide to your house about what you were going to like on TV. It was just about everything that was on TV. And you sort of went through and circled your camp misses and, and stayed home that night to watch television. <laughs> but um, I, I wonder about because of the way that data works, I wonder about how. Algorithms will fight for us and fight against us in how we can manage this sense of self-ownership in, a, in this new space. Because on social media, they always say, if you are getting it for free, you're the product. If we are the product, how do we own ourselves as the product? Which I think is a little bit how Web3 envisions uh, the equality. We'll all own ourselves.
0: Well, I I think if you think about yourself as the product, like think about ourselves from a professional perspective, like we have to write resumes or we have to put together our, you know, profiles on social media, and and so we do it on a um, atomic basis uh, every once in a while. Uh, but with Web3, you could ha- you could potentially have that be, like, all the time or at least more frequently, which um, makes it much harder to manage. And then it's a question of, well, if I'm emailing my resume to someone, I'm willing to share something. Uh, if it's on LinkedIn, I'm probably willing to share less. And and, and and so depending on who you're communicating with and for what purpose and how much you trust them, um, there's different levels. And, 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 and so in a, in a state of continuous sharing of data, how do you manage that effectively? And I, 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 don't, I haven't seen anything that like really um, manages that or, or has the right uh, profile for it because it does need to be easy to use. And you know, you and I have talked about user experience quite a bit, but that's that's often such so critical in in developing these new technologies. Yeah,
1: I think that that's kind of where this is going to head. It right, we we're supposed to all uh, sort of manage ourselves. That's that's sort of where Megan I think sees us going. And so, um, as we manage ourselves, we're going to all end up. Owning a space of the internet. That's what kind of differentiates this notion of web three from web 2.0 or web 2.1 or wherever we are in the two-point. Um, it feels a little bit like do you remember the homesteader act in the United States where they just carved it all up and if you could go out and you could work it for five years, it was yours kind of a thing?
0: I'm old but not that that old Rachel.
1: (laughs) You didn't experience it personally? No, I did not. Oh, (laughs) jeez. But no, I mean I remember learning about this, and I sort of feel like um, this this is a, a sort of our rush um, to 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 start out across the plains and stake our piece of you know land in a way. But the difference being, there's there's really no scarcity of of space in digital space. Like the very notion of it is its abundance and its infinite nature. So. It's kind of funny because I I think about how is that going to, how are we going to put value on that? And how do we think about value in that?
0: Yeah, that Homesteader Act is an interesting thing to bring up because, um, you know, it it literally was pioneers that went out there. And uh, a lot of these pioneers had very difficult lives and they set the groundwork and the frameworks for, you know, Folks to come out and move out to Silicon Valley and and make billions of dollars, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. many decades yeah. later. we're
1: still we're still basically building up of, of of them. Like that, this has all been a continuum, right?
0: Exactly. So
1: as we're looking at this, the the second point that we looked into after data management and ownership, that's sort of the a stumbling block is this universal access.
2: So Web2 is kind of like all about social media and connecting on the internet in a sort of way that we were able to establish that connection and have that interoperability among each other. Uh, but we never had ownership. The ownership, when you truly grasp the potential of it, is is just so mind-blowing. Now we can own a, a piece of the internet. We can get paid for our interaction, um, paid for our time, compensated, and, you know, Uh, gaming, for example. This is a perfect example of Web 2 versus Web 3. They spent so many hours and hours and hours building up their characters, their avatars, their skins. And at the end of that, if they wanted to leave, um, you know, that time was essentially lost. We just said, you know, there's infinite amount of space. There's going to be access, right? There's
1: not going to be a, it's not going to dry up. But we don't really have universal access to Web (laughs) 2.0. So how do we, what do you think about the nature of getting to a a universal access of Web 3.0? Like, what do you think about how we get there?
0: Yeah. One of the things that comes to mind is like with great power comes great responsibility. And so... Right now we you know as web two we're not really responsible for our data and and you you look at everyone like all these companies that get hacked where data is compromised or misused. so in web three the onus will be on on us that then you also have um, to think about like the organizations and the frameworks you need to to manage data like how do you make that? understandable how do you make that easily doable by a broad segment of the population it's it's definitely non-trivial but but then you also think you know for for example even when like credit cards first came out you know they, they're they're a fairly complex financial instrument and now you can make a, a case that uh, a lot of like digital technology and rappers and uh, alerts and stuff like that may, make things that are potentially more complicated into something that's more easily managed. Uh, so we could w- go down that path, but still, credit cards are still complicated. So it, it, it's, will, will it be universal? P- probably not, but hopefully, at least a larger segment of the population.
1: I mean, it's very interesting that you said that about and you're utilizing, uh, you're using credit cards as an example. I think. Um, we never think of credit cards as a very complex instrument anymore because they're so ubiquitous, but they really are. Um, and I think uh, if we can get a sense of what Megan's vision of Web uh, 3.0 is going to be, well, I think we can come back and we can talk about this, the, the nature of of that complexity for universal access, uh, in, a, in a maybe in a more complete way.
2: It's going to be more of a movement of Freedom and power and different ways of interacting that people can, can't even imagine from now until 10 years. I think that NFTs, for example, are going to run our lives and businesses are going to act, interact as brands through NFTs like we've been discussing before fashion, wearables. We're going to, to literally tran- transition to the metaverse and we're going to be a metaverse economy and they, they will disrupt the middleman economy. So, brands are going to have to find a way to provide more value also. Uh, that middleman economy is going to be disrupted because, you know, the power is going to be directly in the user's hands through a DeFi contract.
1: Now, what I like about Megan's vision is that it's very utopian, right? She really believes that uh, this is a, is all about people being free, that this is going to just lift the bars uh, and lift the, the barriers for people. Um, but I, I wonder about that, you know, we, we talk about how complex it is to manage something like the credit card, or um, we talk about, we've talked about Coinbase being a, a Web 2.0 uh, site that that funnels access um, so that you can get to Web 3, right? So you can get to crypto, you can get to the nature of stuff that is Web 3. And, and I wonder about... Um, I wonder about that. Like, will people that be able to to get to Web three will will they be able to understand the the nature of um, how it's designed and how and what will need to be designed to get people there?
0: Uh, that, that's a very interesting thought there. And and for example, M- Megan brought up uh, you know NFTs, um, and and you know that 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 is a term that is used. I, I think a lot of terminology in the technology space is intentionally complexified in order to make what they're doing seem more exciting and higher barriers to entry. So VCs will fund them. Whereas if you're looking on the other side, in terms of consumers, you want something that is like easy to understand. So like, even let's, let's think about like, even like Apple pay or, or, or Google pay, you, you, you know, you, you have these, w- when you tap, you're exchanging a token. Uh, but do you ever hear terminologies, tokens in, in, any communication about that. So I, I think that it's It'd be in-
1: too foreign, right?
0: Exactly, exactly. And and and, and so I, I think it I agree that it is a utopian vision. Um but I also think that um a lot of times when you talk about a vision in terms of technology versus what actually you know, to the end consumer, it, it, they can be very different things.
1: You know, and that sort of leads us to the next thing. We've we've have we've talked about universal access. Now we've talked about design access, and then all of this sort of leads to the the next idea, which is you know, how do you close the education gap? How do you create educational access? Because you just you know, we talk about the nature of Apple Pay. We understand oh, you're exchanging a token, but we don't use that language because. It, it's intimidating, right? It, it makes it feel like it's not accessible. So I, I think I, one, of, one of my favorite parts of the interview with Megan was actually around education access and how we, we can think about it.
2: With this decentralized economy comes a lot of responsibility on the user side as well, and a lot of education that needs to happen. So, I think that there has to be a certain element of centralization for newcomers in order to onboard newcomers to give them that seamless, frictionless experience that we discussed at Money 2020 and that many payment solutions were discussing. How do I embed this in a seamless, frictionless way so that the user experience is? top-notch so that when they come they want to adopt this technology so I think I think that is going to have to be an element in increasing mass adoption for sure and that they're going to have to coexist and um, we're going to have to find out how to do it in a more responsible way I mean I consult for high, high level portfolios. So when we're going to sit down, I normally we don't interact with that. But there is there are times where I'll say, OK, for example, I found a protocol that I think I want to have some exposure to. I will have to sit down and we will be there for hours as I guide them through it. <laughs> and I, I'm sitting there thinking there is no way the average person just getting involved in crypto is going to even care about this, let alone being able to figure it out.
1: So I mean she she agrees that the, one of our biggest barriers to entry is this education access. Um and other than <laughs> we should teach this in school, which seems to be the answer to every problem in our society ever. Everything needs to be taught in school that ever was taught in the world. Um, which I'm not sure I'm not sure we can burden our schools that way. But um other than that, what what do you kind of think we could do? To sort of increase education access around this, or what do you think that we haven't been really thinking about that that gets people to the point where they may not need to be reliant just on other people's educational entry points?
0: I, I, I mean, I I think the Web three industry needs to do a lot more thinking about how they talk and and the about what they do. Like so, for example, going back to the um, Settlement Act, may, maybe not quite far that far, but let, let's go back to the 80s, '70s and '80s when they were building computer systems, and you know the, the, they they called things files, and they th- called things folders. the The burden shouldn't be on the consumer; the burden should be on the designer to create the right terminology, to create the right, f- right frameworks, so you can use an, another framework that the consumers already know and consumers already are familiar with. Um, So I'm putting it into a file. I'm not putting into a a, a, a digital spinning disk in a series of bits and bytes that uh, I will need to read off with magnetically.
1: <laughs> I, it's so interesting that you say that because I do remember you know, growing up in the 80s and you did put things in the file and when you went and you played Oregon Trail, you did go along and you, you, you got points at your lemonade stand or whatever. Everything was very um, analog language in a very not analog experience. Uh, but it, the analog language did kind of help cross the that understanding, right? It helped us sort of go, oh, uh, this isn't completely foreign. This is familiar.
0: Absolutely. And and that that that's why like a, a good designer is so valuable nowadays and and so if if I'm a designer, you know, look towards this web3 stuff and there might be good opportunities for you there.
1: That's it for this episode of The Money Pot. We want to thank Megan Nelson, uh, aka Crypto Megan, for sharing her vision of what Web3 could be. And I also want to thank our utopian producer, Roland Bonham, who's going to make us sound much smarter than we are. You
0: can be part of The Money Pot at The Money 2020 Show. Uh, Please send us pitches to podcast at money2020.com. And don't forget to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. This is essential. 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 essential essential. This is essential audio.